Welcome back to Trending Education and happy Valentine's Day. It's an extra edition of Trending Education and we have a very special guest along with myself and Mike Palmer. That is K.S. Wiswell, the author of Full Frontal Nerdity, Lessons in Loving and Living with Your Brain and a fellow Kaplan employee. K.S., welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Excited to be here. And uh, we have a a lot to discuss here. The book itself, the process of the book coming around. Can you, for our audience, what brought you to write this book? Where'd your life lead you from uh, early childhood all the way through to college to your career now? In about, say, seven seconds or less. Go. Whole life story. Got it. Uh, In my other job, I am a writer in Los Angeles, a a screenwriter. But I I came to that through sketch comedy and improv. So when I... uh, That lent itself to doing a blog on the side in addition to my screenwriting. And that blog, which was started as a personal project, became uh, unexpectedly popular. And again, while I had lots of downtime, I was like, what can I keep doing? So I decided to try and turn it into a book. And then that itself was like a three or four year process. That's awesome. And uh, Mike Palmer here. Uh, so, uh, so KS, by the way, KS is, an, those are nice initials. So, so I like that. Cause like, what do they actually stand for? You could go in a myriad different directions. So, so, so I definitely appreciate it. I do lie about what the S stands for because um, I was born late. If I had been born on time, I would have been named what my father, uh, an English teacher wanted to name me, which is Scout. Interesting. I thought the S stood for savings, but uh, but maybe that's just because uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, in, in in test prep. But um, but yeah, so um, the book uh, and uh, as I mentioned when we were uh, warming up is a is a really wonderful read. Uh, you know, you're a blogger uh, and uh, you've been blogging, I guess, for for quite some time. And then um, I'm really curious about the interplay between uh, improv writing a blog, and now you're doing uh, this podcast. I don't know if you've done other podcasts. Um, this is the first. Oh, for real? Oh, my God. I think there's more podcasting in your future. But um, <laughs> can you kind of compare and contrast what it's like uh, to do improv versus writing a blog uh, versus appearing on, a, on, a, on a, 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 a really groundbreaking educational podcast like the one you're appearing on right now? <laughs> Well, the biggest difference with blogging is that I have no one to disappoint but myself, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. <laughs> where there are other people involved in the other two. Right. Uh, I started doing improv. Well, it was how I was introduced to just performing and the stage when I was a kid. So I technically, I started doing improv when I was eight or nine mm-hmm. through, um, through the children's theater program in my community, because that's how we wrote our shows. Mm-hmm. But uh, I kept doing it all through high school and uh, I took a break in college. But then when I decided I wanted to, after college, pursue uh, something in the arts and in, in theater or film, it came out to LA and I didn't know anybody. And so I decided to just go to the Second City because the Second City is, you know, the Harvard of improv schools. <laughs> and also, it was, I knew I would meet people that way because I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But kept doing it for years even after I graduated through the through the conservatory um, because it is the scariest thing in the world to me mm-hmm. perfectionist and a, and a writer so I like control mm-hmm. um, to have to get on stage with no plan and trust other people is terrifying right um, but it's if you do, uh, you know, so much in this world scares me anyway that I try and do something that scares me. I, I feel like if I can do the scariest thing I can think of once a week, 
right <laughs> then whatever nothing else is all that scary you right, know? and right. it does it, it, you know it does really help it helped me relax control and um blogging was a little bit different because blogging i started doing it just for myself it was a personal exercise i wanted to challenge myself so i guess it's in the same vein mm-hmm. do something that challenges you um and i was not convinced i would be able to keep up a blog because i was at that point i moved on from sketch comedy to uh screenwriting and there's right. a you know 600 to 1000 word blog piece once a week versus a screenplay that takes 6 months to a year to finish sure <laughs> it's yeah. a, it a very different discipline um so i wanted to see if i could do it right right um yeah, no it's i mean it's 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 really interesting and uh and also if you're used to uh being improvisational and not overly prepped uh, welcome to podcasting uh because because that that's that's very much uh, uh in our wheelhouse um but but it is really interesting when you then analogize that to teaching and learning um you know being open to what emerges in the moment um i've always thought of that as a really critical component of good teaching so yeah. You know, you've been a Kaplan teacher for for a little bit of time now, too, right? So, like, can you compare how long? A decade. Oh my goodness! Yeah. My God, that's uh, that's plenty of hours of uh, of experience. Um, how are you able to sort of incorporate the the learnings from uh, from improv and screenwriting and sort of those kinds of experiences into being a really effective uh, of teacher? Because because I do think there are are probably some in- interesting parallels to uh, you know being present in the moment, being ready to kind of react to the offers that are given to you. Uh, yeah. Any any sort of any initial impressions on like uh, you know what's transferable there? Oh yeah, I I do a lot of teacher mentoring for Kaplan in my area, mm-hmm. and I've I've had other people you know from the company say, "What do you think we can do you know to improve our teacher training?" And I always say. To me, the best training I ever had was improv. Um, I think the two, when I talk to new teachers, I say the two, to me, the two biggest things going into a class to being successful is to one, like have a, have a set plan that you know backwards and forwards. Like you know exactly why you're doing this problem and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have the overall structure set, but beyond that, don't have a plan. You have to be ready to roll with it because you don't know what questions the students are gonna ask. And even now, a decade in, I have students who will occasionally have a reading of an answer choice that I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And you can't have rote explanations for why, like you have to know why that answer choice is wrong, but you also have to be able to hear what they're saying and understand what they're saying and and deal with that question in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and also in, in addition, as terms of the time management, <laughs> That, which is another major factor of teaching, when you do get derailed by an interesting debate that comes up in class, time-wise, you have to be able to find a quick way to get yourself back on track. Right. Um, so flexibility to be able, and the ability to roll with it are hugely important. Right. And then on a, on a completely side note, and this is not something you can really learn how to do, but being a comedian, being funny, is incredibly useful in class. Right. It helps if you can kind of, it helps draw them in. And I hear for my students, I probably hear more than anything else, they're surprised at how entertained they were through a four hour class. Right. And, and I definitely think that's sort of critical to like one thing we've talked about, we talked about, emailed you a little bit about this uh, heading into the show, but like 
sort of the idea of edutainment, like the idea, and there's a related concept called like stealth learning where like you could sneak up on people and then afterwards they're like, oh, wow, you know, I just learned something, but I was actually having a pretty engaging, uh, fun experience. And then at the end of the day, uh, I came away learning more. I was pretty struck by that in uh, full frontal nerdity uh, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm still still trying to uh, power through the remainder of it, but uh, but like every, all the, and it's a collection of essays talking right. about- Bite sizes for a reason, so that you can snack now and then. Yeah, exactly, and I like that, because also like life is, uh, it's hard to get dedicated focus for long periods of time, so the idea that you can kind of knock out these essays like on the train or, yeah. you know, in the sort of intervening moments in life, uh, I thought was great, but I was really struck by uh, the, the, the way you were able to bring uh, surprising examples to explain um, more esoteric, uh, the arguably nerdy, and I, I like that you're trying to, you know, reclaim like nerd power, uh, <laughs> you know, in a good way. You're, you're among friends here. Uh, Smart but, and sexy, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I mean, even like, you know, we can get into it a little bit, but I also like the idea of like, um, being a woman who's sort of asserting your power through your, uh, your intelligence and your ability to write. Uh, I actually, th I, I did find the, the book to be pretty compelling in that context, but I also thought it was really interesting to think about, you know, do people learn concepts like Drake's equation or like Bayesian uh, logic or probability? Do, do people learn that better when the, explanations are more about their love life or, you know, the examples are more personally relevant. Yeah. Um, I've always found that to be the case. You know, again, I began as a Kaplan teacher myself. Like I found that when you can turn it into something personal, humorous, narrative oriented, um, there's a level of like, you know, earning the learner's attention that, that frequently is, is more difficult if you leave it all, you know, I'm going to teach you these abstract con uh, concepts, and I'm never really going to talk about the relevance to you in your everyday life. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, because I definitely seem it, it seemed like a recurring theme, and it almost seems like, you know, if there was a way to encapsulate what full frontal nerdity is about, yeah. it's sort of like taking these sort of abstract concepts that you want to learn about, and then turn them into a very personal narrative uh, based on your own experiences. So, so can you can you ex maybe expand a little bit on that? Well, that's definitely, I think that's definitely a better way for people to learn. People seem to learn and remember things better that way. I do myself personally. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's interesting that I, if you asked me at any point in my life what I wanted to do, I would have basically just said, I want to change the world and make it better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, and at, at, when I was graduating from college, I basically had a choice. I was thinking of going to law school mm -hmm. or I was thinking about going into movies, writing, you know, writing, writing movies. And right, right. I, I picked that route in part because I feel like you can make just as much of an impact, if not more of an impact by getting across, you know, there, I admire advocates in the world. And I think that they, of course, are doing heroes work. Um, I'm not sure that I can necessarily hang in their ranks, but I do feel like what I can do is I can change your mind by telling you an interesting story that makes you think about things. Right. Relating it to your life 
in a way that both makes you laugh, but also makes you suddenly think, oh, is that the same thing? I mean, I love satire. I, you know, I love Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. And I grew up reading those guys because they were making point, you know, they were making a political point or mm -hmm. points about our society through humorous science fiction and fantasy. Right. So, and I've always been a science-y, nerdy person. I went to college to be an applied math major. Right but I ended up being a writer. So it's also kind of my thing to try and combine unlike things. My brain just works that way. And I find that analogies have always been my strength. Right. So I took that opportunity. It took probably about 30 years for me to realize that that was a little bit different, that not everybody's mind suddenly thinks about dating when they're listening to stories about Bayesian reasoning or when they're learning about Bayesian reasoning and statistics. Yes. <laughs> Um, or about when they're thinking about astrophysics. Um, so I thought, oh, well, this is, people find this interesting. Maybe I should put this out there. Yeah. For me, it's totally normal, but I realized that I, I kind of exist at a crossroads between two very different worlds, which is the world of my nerdy physics, applied math, Harvard self, and then my second city improv comedy world right. self. Yeah, and that, that's something that like we love to like navigate that um, those sort of inter points of intersection on the show too, because like I do think you know we talk about I talk a lot about Steve Jobs and like the sort of the intersection between um, like a creative versus uh, somebody who can kind of build technical things, and like he kind of blew up that false dichotomy, and like it seems like at least what I got in the book. Uh, is that you're almost trying to do that too, where like folks who might think uh, these concepts are just, you know, we've talked about relevance a lot on the show. Like when you're, when you're designing curricula, like you should actually make sure that it's relevant to your learners. Cause if they don't understand the relevance of what they're learning, they're just going to check out. Yeah. They so, always are asking, why do I need to know this? I mean, the right. key to getting through your class is at every page say, this is why this matters. Right. This why we did this. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I got that. I mean, it, and the nice thing about uh, the read, I think, is that it, it gives me stuff that I could just casually talk to my friends about. You know, like now I feel a little more comfortable, although not 100% comfortable, uh, talking about Drake's equation uh, or talking about Bayesian uh, thinking mm -hmm. because of your examples. And that's because previously, whenever I heard somebody talk about Drake's equation, I might start to check out because I'm like, all right, this is getting a little bit of beyond my depth, but like right. you as like a rom-com centered thinker, because I definitely got a lot of that out of what's in the book. Oh yeah. Like, you're turning it into very personal, you know, everyone has had awkward dating experiences. I appreciate your, uh, your vulnerability and comfort, uh, you know, like being sort of forward about that uh, in your own oh, life. I've been dumped that I describe in this book. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but, I, but I was really kind of like, uh, I don't know, like impressed in some ways about the, the, the way in which that's sort of surprising and, uh, and how surprise earns the learner's attention. That's something we do talk a lot about where like, you know, delivering the same lesson plan the way everyone has ever taught a concept before doesn't really make an impact. I mean, maybe it will, but like there's a level to which uh, this is again, getting at the intersection between art and science around teaching. You know, there's probably a certain level of 
you know, you need your learning objectives. You need to make sure your audience uh, comes away learning whichever key ideas they need to learn. But a lot of that's then delivered in an artful way. And, and I got that sort of artistry in the book, but I also, uh, I'd like to understand a little more, like, how do you think about that as a teacher and how, um, how, how much artistry is involved and how much sort of um, being in the moment and spontaneous is involved in really being excellent at, uh, at teaching. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I personally, I love being surprised too. I love surprising myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always searching for a better way, especially if, you know, I had a class that I was just like, Oh, they just weren't getting it this time. And what is wrong? Is there a different way? Did I, did I try it? Did I teach it differently? Did I say something in a different way that didn't work? Um, so I'm always searching for a better analogy. I mean, I, I just, in fact, this last class I taught, again, after doing this for more than nine years, because um, my anniversary is not till May 1st, <laughs> I, I came up with an analogy for just road mapping passages. And I, in my, it was just, I'm just in a weird mood or something. And I was like, well, we're talking about roadmaps. And I made a joke about AAA having AAA. And then I was like, well, can I expand this into what are the three, like, can I talk about the three key things that you have to pay attention to when you're mapping a passage? And I was like, yeah, you're looking for like, you know, you're looking for arguments, you're looking for the author, and you're looking for, um, sorry, arguments, the author's emphasis, and then attitude. Anything mm-hmm. that is an attitude. And, and my class, it was amazing. Like their faces just, this is also why I like being an onsite teacher. Their faces lit up. Yep. It was like this moment of like light bulbs were almost literally above their heads. I could almost see them, you know, and, and then I, I loved it. And they suddenly got it. I was like, that, that, that worked out way better than I was expecting it to. And I love when I have those moments. Cause like, there's a piece in the book where I talk about the properties of metal and I mm-hmm. equate them to different kinds of friendships. Sure. I was very, and that was completely by accident. I was just looking for an idea for that week. And I had, the Girl Scout song, Make New Friends, Make Me Feel Old, One is Over and the Other's Gold, stuck in my head for who knows what reason. And then I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, what are the other medals and what other kind of friendships are there? And then I just went online and I did like a day's worth of research on the different properties of medals and stuff. And it was amazing to me how well things started to line up. And I love those moments. It's, you know, Mathematicians have those moments and so do performers, especially improvisers. Those right. moments on stage when you're like, oh, magic is happening right now. We stumbled into something that's actually true. Yeah. It's almost like you're you're tapping into something transcendent, you know, like you're it's not it wasn't it wasn't in it was in you in some capacity, but like you're sort of channeling something that's outside of you. Yeah, a lightning uh, bolt of inspiration yes. hit you and you just happen to be receptive to it at that moment. Yes. Yes. And, and by the way, when I did get to the, uh, the periodic elements and uh, I was very happy that you talked about tungsten, which happens to be my favorite uh, element. Uh, although I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like in the next round, you may need to give tungsten a little more love because we didn't talk about tungsten as the filament. Like tungsten is what gives us the, the incandescent glow that we love. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like, and that was where, like, honestly, as a reader of your book, it almost felt like there were a lot of um, offers to me where, like, my thinking then was spurred to kind of go into new directions, too. And I do feel like 
finding good analogies. This gets back to like um, the concept of learning transfer too, where like if you can understand how this analogy makes sense in this context, you can then frequently, you know, what insight is frequently is transferring that then to another context and then finding the examples and the narratives that resonate broadly. This gets, gets, gets back to romantic comedy, but uh, you know, like those kinds of things are part of the collective unconscious. I try to say zeitgeist almost every show. So I just got a chance to, to <laughs> this thing, but, um, but there are places where like, you know, and this maybe ties a little bit to the edutainment and the broader like relevance of the content. Um, but if you can remind people that these, these, this is sort of like the nerd power thing too. If you could say like, this isn't this abstract thing that isn't relevant to you, this could actually help you think differently about your romantic life, about your career prospects, about just sort of the self-improvement yeah. side of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? How well, like- definitely, I love the idea. I want this to get people to go off and think on their own. The, the, writing the blog, was a, it was a good exercise for me because my instinct too is like I could sit down and talk about most of these subjects like each of them I could have written five times longer mm -hmm. right? um and the blog it's when I when it was actually a blog it was hard I, I learned early on that the pieces that got a lot of resonance were the ones that were under a thousand words which mm -hmm. for me was challenging in many cases um so I could do the full explanation, especially there's that also that lawyerly instinct in me. I'm an LSAT teacher. Sure. Uh, that lawyerly instinct in me to be like, let's cover all the bases and look at it from every angle and like talk, you know. Um, and so it was the, the, it's nice though that I had to keep it short and I like the idea of it instead being something that I don't have to fill in the whole conversation and I shouldn't fill in the whole conversation. I should mm -hmm. give you the parameters and then hopefully um, having changed your brain a little bit, you'll be like, oh, I want to learn more about metals and think, look, or I have a rebuttal. Like, I want to, I want to tell you, let's, this is what I know about tungsten and love about tungsten. And how, this is how we can further relate it. And isn't that exciting? Right. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love the idea of, of convincing someone to, to want to do more themselves, to take it from me and run with the ball and not yeah. just read it and go, oh, that's cool, and then be done with it. Yeah, and I do wonder about that too, just around the book, um, as opposed to improv, is more unidirectional. I guess the blog, I imagine a blog, you're getting input from your readers and your you know, folks are responding. I did get some, although originally I started the blog, again, as a private exercise, just mm -hmm. keep my, I was waiting, there's a piece in the book about how I had a screenplay that was in limbo for years. So it was kind of like almost happening, but not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had downtime and I didn't want to start a big project. So I just was like, let me do something that will keep my writing sharp. Right. But I wanted to get back some of my improv brain, sure. my sketch brain. Um, so I basically told my friends and family about it, but that was it. And then I wrote one piece. It's the piece in there. It's just, I think it's the second or third essay about, will you be my eggplant? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, the lack of words in the English language for the various stages of dating. Right. And that piece was literally written in the back of my parents' car. I was visiting them uh, in March. I was visiting them in Florida and I was trying to keep my goal of writing one piece a week, but I was traveling. Mm -hmm. So um, we were driving, I had flown to Florida, we'd stayed in a motel and then we were driving an hour and a half 
from in the morning we were driving to their house because I'd flown in late at night mm -hmm. and uh, I wrote it in the back of their car. So it was like, it kind of was like, what can I do? And I just wrote it and it resonated so much with people. And then I started suddenly getting, I had like a thousand then 2000 followers and I thought, oh, now strangers. And, and then it does become a little different because then people are, I, I, that's when I really realized the power of it because people did start responding and saying, oh, I've always thought about this. And have you thought about that? Mm -hmm. And it was, that was what made me realize, oh, this is a conversation and it's exciting and I like it better that way. Yeah. And, and it's got to be interesting to then shift to becoming like a, a an author of a printed book. And I did. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna riffle. I like I like the word riffle. And for our listeners, uh, it's not quite an ASMR show, but I was able to just <laughs> riffle uh, through your book, uh, which which uh, which which I was holding in front of me. But uh, but like that is. It's got to be interesting to then think about how that might relate to improv and events too. Like, are there ways to kind of uh, almost be more multimedia, I guess, in terms of how you think about your 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 content delivery delivery, like your content distribution. So, like, you know, I imagine this is the type of thing that would a lot of podcasts, for example, are crossing over into the live event space. Uh, it's something we've sort of explored and had some success with. But I imagine as somebody who's been an improv uh, performer, uh, and then you've been a blogger and a screenwriter, um, and you've taught. Um, and teaching, in, in essence, is a live event. Yeah, I refer uh, to it as my four-hour one-woman improv show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like, but like, are there plans to do things like that with the book now that now that you've written it? Is it like, is it a, a way to kind of kick off events and and ways to kind of like begin a conversation or improvise off of the, this as sort of a foundation? Or, or how, how do you think about these different modes? Because it's pretty interesting how you've been firing on multiple uh, fronts here. Yeah, I, I love exploring new medium. I hadn't really thought about it, honestly. Although one of my friends read this book and she said, she actually said, this should be a podcast. You could do every week or each episode would just be, you get an expert in whatever the subject area was and then you relate it to whatever you're relating it to in the real world. And um, you could just do, you could go on forever. And I was like, yeah. And also I feel like, um, I don't, honestly, my first thought was that might be easier because I can talk for an hour. I can, you know, just talk off the cuff for an hour, whereas having to write down and edit and right. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of work. Um, but, uh, I, I love the challenge of, of, of moving things from one, uh, one medium to another. You know, I started out, like I said, I started out Changing, going from improv to sketch comedy is, is really hard trying to, you know, because something that's funny in the moment being made up is not funny when it's scripted on page, on the page. Right. So you, have to, you have to add an element of purpose. There has to be an arc to the scene suddenly in sketch comedy that there doesn't have to be an improv. The audience is more forgiving. Right. And then I started moving that in, you know, when I, some, into screenplays. That's a completely different beast. I just spent two years adapting one of my screenplays into a stage musical. Mm. which I thought would be super easy and was <laughs> so hard. I cried several times over, mm. <laughs> over the course of the process, yeah. but it, it's really a, a, exhilarating. And then, then transferring the blog to a book was also, I suddenly started to realize I needed things like a through line. I need to cut the, I, I had to pick and choose which pieces. There are a lot of pieces that I love that never made it into the book because they really were just a personal story. Right. And if the book is about taking academic subjects and connecting them to, to real life, then it just didn't fit. Even sure. though it was an essay that I love. Um, so 
it's fun, the challenges that come up with every new, new medium. And I believe that, you know, writing and storytelling is a skill. It's the fundamental skill to all of those things. Yep. But you, you have to respect the, the parameters of each new genre in the same way that I think teaching is storytelling. Teaching is also storytelling, but you have to respect the, what is required in the medium of teaching. You have to, there is a purpose. You have to get certain amount of material across. You have to, you have to focus on the student instead of on you. Like, you, know, you have to be willing to sacrifice certain things and put um, different things at the forefront. And I'll just end that with a fun little story um, about one of the one of the many people who are mentioned in one of these essays, who's probably one of the worst people I've dated. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is what initiated my "don't date writers" rule. Um, but <laughs> or, or or people who own birds, right? That was the other one, right? Like like people yeah. who have birds as pets. Oh yeah, bird people. Which yeah, yeah. yeah, that was that was again just a completely random idea I had, and then I ran with it. But um, no, this, I was dating somebody who, he was a novelist who wrote short stories, but he, you know, he was working on his novel all the time. He was a short story writer and that's what he did. He just wrote short stories and he's a great, hilarious, still, he's a great writer. Um, I'm still a fan, even though not so much of him as a person. Um, and uh, when we were breaking up, he actually said to me, he didn't believe I was a writer. Mm. Because he said, well, you don't even know what you like, you write screenplays and then you're working on a TV pilot and you're writing a play and you have this blog, you know, what, and I just, I was so taken aback because I was, I was just like, what makes you think that because I explore other structures for my art that I'm not an artist? Right. It was just so mind bogglingly narrow. Right. <laughs> an idea. Yeah. Who needs that guy? Who right. Needs, like you're, you're better off that who needs that guy even if he's a good writer yeah and, and, and also has a book now <laughs> oh for real yeah 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 but um but yeah i mean i just gotta say uh you know the it's a wonderful read uh i would really encourage our listeners to 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 dig in uh and uh and explore it we'd, we'd love to have you uh maybe come back on the show more too because i think you're bringing a nice uh energy as a as a creator and as like you know the like nerd power and feminist energy uh which is really throughout the book and in a way that's also funny because it's kind of disarming and like i think you wind up um uh, wearing so many hats that we don't really know even how to peg you yeah uh, and i feel like that's, that's marketing the book has been a nightmare because of that well but but to your point like i actually think maybe it's maybe we need to kind of expand our thinking as a, as a society, not to get, you know, lofty about all this, but like, I agree. <laughs> we, we tend to want to almost oversimplify and like, just, you know, get an, get an easy hook or easy peg for people. And uh, I think lots of times like folks who have a lot to say and a lot of interesting perspectives are, are harder to kind of, you know, fit into a pre-existing mold. I mean, that's really why we want to continue to explore new ideas and new concepts. Um, I'd love to come back more to some of the, the more esoteric ideas that, you know, cause the examples are, are pretty hilarious and, uh, and the range of, uh, of topics uh, are that you, you wind up educating your readers again in that sort of sneaky way that I like. Um, 
is really something worth uh, worth pursuing, uh, both in terms of this book and our readers, uh, our listeners uh, reading this book, I think it'd be great. But also in terms of uh, figuring out, finding other formats for you to kind of like continue to explore that idea and that format. Um, yeah. I, uh, hey, I'd love to come back. We could do an entire, I feel like there's almost a mini book within this book about quantum theory and stress management. Mm. <laughs> That's a wonderful tease. I don't even know where we would go with that, but that, that's what makes it wonderful. Uh, I, I, so. I take a lot of, in the life half, I take a lot of inspiration personally in the way that I think about the bigger picture um, through my, my readings and, and, and my, my, you know, peripheral understanding of quantum theory. Interesting. Yeah, but I'd love to dig in more there. And even like the, the fact that you're tying self-improvement to learning which is kind of like a no-brainer, but that's something we have actually talked about on this show before, where like frequently the self-improvement movement and how we think about learning and education are sort of thought of as separate. Well, we have IQ and we have EQ, and I like the idea of using your IQ to inform your EQ and also just having a healthier EQ, just awareness of your own feelings and, and, and emotions. You know, I will just say the, the subtitle of the book, Lessons in Loving and Living with Your Brain, is phrased that way because I want it to be able to be parsed two ways. It's about um, loving and living using your brain. So being smarter about the way that we think about the world, but also um, learning to love and live with your brain because mm -hmm. our brains mess us up in so many ways, especially if you are an overthinker and a super intellectual person like I've you know, like I've been most of my life, I, I've struggled with the neuroses that come from just being a really logical, like, you know, academic oriented, you know, totally. <laughs> that kind of person. And so it's been a huge process for me to learn how to live with that mm -hmm. and accept that my brain is a gift. It's not just the thing that has scared off men for most of my life, but you know. <laughs> But it's both a gift and then something to learn to adjust your to, you know what I mean? Like it's not it if I let it, as long as I don't let it take over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, this is a, a wonderful conversation. Awesome. Having you with us, uh, Dan, any, uh, any closing remarks, any, any ways to kind of punctuate uh, this, uh, this run on sentence? Well, I may be a, a semicolon of sorts, but uh, we have uh, K.S. Wiswell with us. Uh, it's Full Frontal Nerdity. You can find the book on Amazon. Uh, where, they, where can they find you, though? Where can they find your ongoing writing? I know you do have a, a nerd night uh, in Los Angeles that you will be speaking at. Uh, where can uh, folks who listen to this podcast find you in uh, future endeavors? Uh, well, they can find me uh, on Twitter at FFrontalNerd. And uh, I don't, the blog is kind of dormant right now because of, of the book, although I have been thinking about uh, picking it up. Um, I will definitely spread the word if I start writing regularly again. It, the blog died when I started writing for Huffington Post for a while, and then that ended. So now I'm back to writing long-term things, full, you know, screenplays and such. Uh, but Twitter, I'm on Twitter every day, even though I shouldn't be. And uh, yes, I'm performing at LA, uh, Nerd Night LA, which is la.nerdnight.com if you want to check it out. Uh, there are nerd nights in cities all over the country, though, and I highly recommend it because it's super fun. Fantastic. And I would say no one really should be on Twitter ever, but uh, we all get drawn back to it each and every day. Uh, oh. With that said, uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Trending and Ed, on Facebook as well, uh, trendingandeducation.com. Uh, as Mike said, we'll have uh, cast back in the future. Great conversation and maybe uh, a podcast of your own waiting to be had, uh, KS. We look forward to hearing that as well. Uh, find us again. 
uh, trendinginteducation.com. Till next time, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education.